Open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it's a little book in the Old Testament, kind of stuck in there in the middle of the Bible between Psalms and Isaiah, so turn and find that. It's Sunday, I understand, but, but Monday's coming. So how many of you, let me just say this, how many of you, it's Sunday, but you can't wait to get to work tomorrow. You just can't wait. You love what you do. Uh, you just nearly get speeding tickets every day on the way to work because you can't wait to get there. Let me see your hands. You love your job. You love it? You love it? Yeah, Stephen Ham loves his work. Way to go, man. That's it. That's it. How many of you... To some degree, not so much. Let me see your hand. Just kind of not so much. Monday will be here soon enough. Uh, and others of you, I understand. And, and I've talked to some of you. You, you. you sit through Sunday dreading, dreading the fact that it's about time to go to work. Some of you have to go to work tonight. Uh, you work uh, late night shifts or tomorrow night. Uh, that's hard. God bless you. Uh, I, I, I just kind of know how it feels. Um, you understand that you're going to spend 40% of your life at work. You're going to spend 40% of your life at work. So let's just think about it. If, if that many of us really do not find satisfaction in what we do, if that many of us really don't, then just think about how that affects our own hearts, our families. Think about how it affects our church. Just ask you to imagine if more of us or, or, or all of us could find real deep satisfaction in what we do with the other 40% of our life. Just think how much more joyful and how much uh, more productive and how wonderful our families and, and our church life would be. It's, it, it's hard to imagine, but that's what I'm asking you to imagine today. What if you could find real satisfaction in your work? If it sounds like too much to ask, well, you're in good company. The preacher who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes will tell you all about how he hated work. Here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18, from a man who hated work. Here we go. Start with verse 17. I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I've earned. I mean, he'll just say it. You're thinking it, but he'll say it. And, and who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I've gained by my skill and my hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, and then they must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless. It's a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief, and even at night their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. Here we go, verse 24. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything, say the words, apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy and God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him, this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. 
while back there was a, a mama who used to attend our church with a little boy. His name was Gabe. He was three years old at the time. Gabe was three. Uh, mama said that Gabe was just the kid that you couldn't even say the word church during the week because he thought you were going to go, and he loved church. He was just the wildest kid about church. One Sunday, he was walking in, and, and I said, hi, Gabe, how are you? He said, Brother Tim, what are you doing here? He's just so excited to be here and apparently surprised that I was. <laughs> Brother Tim, what are you doing here? I said, Gabe, I work here. He said, you do? <laughs> Who do you work for? I said, I work for God. And this little three-year-old boy almost died. He said, oh, I want to work for God. It's the neatest thing. I want to work for God. Interesting. Let's talk about working for God. Now, in the Christian faith, we can do this because this is part of what makes the God of Scripture different from all of the other deities and gods and goddesses and, and what makes the Bible different from all other religious books. It, it really comes down to its depiction of God, of course, but, but one of the unique aspects of the God as he reveals himself to Christ and in Scripture is that God is a God who works. And work itself in Scripture, apart from the passage we just read, work for the most part is, is, is dignified. It is elevated. It's not considered something horrible. Not a single amen on that one, so let me go a little bit further. In the book of Genesis, the Bible opens with this wonderful, glorious picture of God. And on page one, what is God doing? You can say it. It's okay. He's working. On page one, God is working. And he works one day, and he works two days, and he works three days, and he works four days. But you just got to notice how he works. It's glorious. It's joyful. God loves what he does. Now, you got to hand it to him. He's God, so he doesn't really even break a sweat, ever. Doesn't even break a sweat. And yet, what he does is so infinitely productive and beautiful and wonderful. And at the end of every single day of God's work, what does God say? That was good. Oh, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't even like where this goes, do you? Yeah. At the end of God's day of work, he says, oh, that was good. Day one, day two, day three, day four. God just keeps working every single day, coming back to work. At the end of the day, he's saying, that was good. That was good. And he comes back the next day. He rests on the seventh day, but not because he's tired, just because he wants to teach you to rest. You understand? God is a God at work. Always at work. And then he creates the man. And it's one of the most amazing accounts in all of Scripture. How does God create the man? God, maker of heaven and earth, who just speaks and the sky explodes with birds. He just speaks and the sea erupts with fish. But when he wants to create the human being, what does he do? Apparently he gets down, gets down on his knees and puts his hands in the dirt. God is a God with dirt under his fingernails. You understand? He gets down, he puts his hand in the dirt, and he makes the man Adam, makes him by his own hands. And then he presses his lips against Adam's lips and breathes into the man the, the breath of life. He breathes his own breath into his lungs. This is a God with dirt under his nails. This is a God who works, and this is a God who works joyfully, and this is a God who works productively. And at the end of it all, he just loves to say, that was so so good. That was so good. He created the man for one purpose, and that was to glorify him. To glorify him. 
to be there so he could walk with him at the end of every single day in the cool of the day. But also, don't miss this, God created the man and the woman to work. Created them to work. Y'all look like I'm just depressing you. I mean, it just gets heavier and heavier in here. He created the man and woman to work. But do you understand? That work was just like God's work. It was joyful. It was productive. At the end of every day, they would walk with God in the garden and say together, that was good. That was so good. Another good day. I mean, you understand? Work was a part of God's very nature. And work is a part of God's good creation. And when God said it's all good, part of what he's saying is good is work. It's just good. It's supposed to be good. It's, it's glorious. It's joyful. At least as God intended it. Now, now you know, and you're waiting because this is what you want to get to. You know what happens. Something happens to work. Something happens to work. It's not just work. Something happened to everything good that God had made and it all got ruined including work work got ruined what happened sin the man and the woman that God made with with his own breath and with the the dirt in his own hands that man and woman they turned from God they chose to sin and in doing so they separated their lives from God you with me? That they separated their lives from God. So from that point on, their life was no longer in the garden with God, walking with him in the cool of the day, and joining joyfully in the work that God was doing. No, no from this point on, because of sin, their lives and their work take part away from God, separated from God. And apart from God, work's not the same. Now you're saying amen. It's not the same. It's part of the curse of sin that, that work's going to be different. How's it different? Remember the passage? Genesis chapter 3, what's it say? How is work different now? Talking to Adam. Adam was created and part of his purpose was to work the garden. But, but now the work's going to be different. It's going to be by the sweat of your brow. Yeah, now it's, it's not just work, it's the old King James word toil. It's physical labor, it's draining, it's exhausting. In God's own words, he says, from now on, you're going to have to scratch a living out of the dirt. It's that picture scratching for something. You're going to have to work hard now, and your hard work isn't always going to add up to much. You're going to plant and work the earth, but the earth's going to produce what? Thorns and thistles. You're going to plant corn, but you're going to get corn with thorns and thistles. You're going to plant wheat. You're going to plant beans. You're going to plant broccoli. Whatever it is you're trying to plant, whatever you're trying to plant, the weeds are going to come up better than what you planted. That's what God is saying now. There's going to be frustration thrown in with work now. It's going to be toil. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be by the sweat of your brow. You're going to scratch out your living, and at the end of it, you're going to have more thistles than anything else. That's work. Apart from God, that's work. And since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, most everything that we do anymore is somehow apart from God. Which brings us around to the preacher in Ecclesiastes, man. He can tell you all about it. He wants to tell you about it, as a matter of fact. I hated my work. He hated work. And he goes on and on about it. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth because Two reasons, two reasons he hates it so bad. What's the first one? Verse 18. Everything I work for, 
somebody else is going to take. I'm going to work for it, but somebody else is always going to reap the benefit of my work. Now, first of all, I think in Ecclesiastes, he's really talking about after he dies. I'm going to work, and I'm going to make all the money I can. I'm going to save it in the bank, and then I'm going to die, and then my kids are going to have it. And I happen to know, and he happens to know, his kids are morons. And if indeed this is King Solomon, his sons were morons. You understand? Morons. And he knows it. Thinking, I am working so hard, and, and my dimwit kids are going to blow everything I make. They won't appreciate it. They never will understand the sacrifices I made to have what I have had. I will give it to them, and they are morons, and they will blow it. By the time I am cold in the ground, they'll be on the street without any of it because that's how fast they'll blow it. I don't know if they're going to be wise or foolish. It's frustrating for him that he does all of this work, but, but other people get all the benefit. Now, some of you are already thinking it's not so much about working to leave something for your kids. You don't even know if you'll have anything to leave for your kids because every single day you work and who takes it? The government? Yeah, it's taxes. You get your paycheck, you look at the taxes and think, oh my, oh my goodness, I did the work. But somebody else is getting the money, and it's so aggravating. It goes to taxes. It goes to your boss. Some of you work for companies, and you've seen the expose on Dateline or, 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 or 60 Minutes or whatever. When, when the guy who owns your company is out there on a yacht somewhere with, with, with ice sculptures and cakes in the shape of naked women, and he's out there partying, and you're working third shift, standing on concrete, sweating and scratching out a living, thinking, what is the use in this? Why am I working so hard so that other people can live that kind of life? Well, understand, you're not the first person to think like this. This is in the Bible. He says, man, I hated work primarily because I did all the work and somebody else got all the benefit of it. I also like, it's really interesting what he says here. Look, look at verse 22. It's really interesting the way the preacher talks about work. Because he talks about it in two ways. What do people get in this life for all of their Hard work and anxiety is a new living translation. They're hard work and anxiety. He really uses two words here, and they have to do with, with the physical labor, the, the toil of work. What do people have, to, what do they get for all of their toil, this hard physical labor, the scratching out a living by, by your fingers in the dirt? It's that idea. But then the next one I like a lot, their hard work and their anxiety. Yeah, even back in his day, even back in the, the days of Ecclesiastes, it's not just the toil, it's not just the physical labor, it is the, the mental exhaustion of it. Look at what he says in verse 23, even at night, even at night, what? The mind won't rest. Even at night, some of you have that job. You have that job. Even at night. You can't turn it off. Your brain just worries. Your brain continues to work. It's not just physical toil. It's the mental exhaustion. Work is just mentally exhausting. Well, what is it about work for most of us? Well, what is it? Well, work's about people. And anytime you put a group of people together and then add stress, you're probably going to have a mess. And that's where a lot of you work. Just put it on the sign out front. Stress and mess, uh, incorporated. 
actually groups of people don't ever change much. So, so honestly, the, the, the people you work with, probably not all that different from the kindergarten class you started out in. Because people just don't ever change that much. So that means at work, you don't just have the work, the physical work. You've got the people drama all the time. So think about your kindergarten class, and then you look at the people you work with, and you got the same people. you got the crybabies. You still have crybabies? you got the people who don't really do anything, but then they complain like they do it all. You know, I, I mean, they don't do anything. They, they, they never, ever really do much except, you know, count down the minutes to the next smoke break, and then they're gone. And then they come back in and complain like they're doing all the work, and, and it's all you can do just not to murder. I mean, it's frustrating that that mental exhaustion of crybabies and bullies. In the American workforce today, bullies are one of the number one complaints. People say that working with bullies, now sometimes the bully is the boss. And, and it's really difficult when he's your boss because you just really can't talk back or say what you want to say to the boss. That's why you lay awake at night saying it into your pillow. Going over everything you'd like to say to that bonehead boss of yours, the, the bully. Or there are bullies at work. They're just people who make your work so, so miserable. But bullies. Have you ever thought to yourself, if they just leave me alone and just let me work? You understand? It's not even so much the work. It's just, it's just everything they add to it. The, the, the deadlines and then the, the load of work. They keep laying people off right and left, but then they give you the job that somebody else used to be doing. And you already had your hands full. But nobody even seems to blink an eye at that. Just add more work and, and shorten the deadlines and, and lengthen your hours and then shrink your pay. I mean, this is exactly what the writer in Ecclesiastes is talking about. It's, it's physical labor, but the physical labor is even the worst part. If you just leave me alone and let me do my job. But they don't leave you alone, and it's that mental drain. They even go to bed at night, and, and your brain won't even turn off. So I think he gets it. Will you agree that he gets it? Which is why it's, it's odd. Explain this. Because after everything is said about hating work, and that's his word, he hates it, hates it. It's meaningless, it's stupid, it's ignorant, it's, it's empty, it's, it's meaningless. And then, verse 24, so I decided, there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink. Now I'm with you there. That's why at work, lots of times you take brownies, right? It, it's a way to cope. People sometimes bring food to work because it's, it's just a way to pass the time and get through it. So, so we're with him again. Now he's, he's just eating and drinking. Uh, I, I just decided there's nothing better than food and drink. And then what? What? What's he say next? Nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in work. There's nothing that prepares you for his saying that. He just went on and on about how miserable work is. And now he says, I decide there's nothing better than just to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Keep going. I realize that these what? Pleasures. These pleasures are from the hand of God. So we went in the space of a couple of verses. We went from I hate work. Work is meaningless. It's toil all day long, and then it's worry all night long. I hated it. It's worthless. It's meaningless. And then now we are at work is a pleasure from the hand of God. Did he get a raise? Did he change jobs? Did he retire? What happens? 
between verse 23 and verse 24 so that all of a sudden it's a pleasure from the hand of God. Verse 25, here we go. This is the key. For who can eat or enjoy anything, three words, apart from him? Apart from him. Are, are you getting the missing piece now? If you find no satisfaction in your work, there's a pretty good chance you go to work every day without God. You're working apart from him. You see, work is indeed a pleasure from the hand of God. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not exhausting. It doesn't mean that, 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 that you're just going to love, you know, every day getting up and, and getting a speeding ticket on the way to work. No, but, but there's satisfaction in it because it's, it's a pleasure from the hand of God. If I tell you that your job is intended to be an everyday opportunity for you to work from God, some of you right there, you think, well, there you go, Pastor Tim, now you're talking like a preacher. Yeah. If I had your job, if I only had to work on Sunday, that's what y'all say, if I only had to work on Sunday, then I'd love my job too. And, and, uh, and, and I'm blessed. I, I, I know I'm blessed. I, I work every day, all week long, with the absolute best people on earth. I get to work with Warren Weeks and Rod Ellis and Matt Betts and Lori Tingle and Nicole Buckman. I, I get to work with Eric Walker. I, I mean, I, I know that I'm blessed, but, but don't discount what I'm saying. Don't think that just because I happen to have a really, really good job that that, that means I can't speak into you about your job. Now listen to me. It is not that when I say it's an opportunity to serve God that now I'm just talking like we're supposed to talk in church because, because this is what I fear is your problem. You, you separate too much the person you are at church with the person you are at work. You, you literally become a different person when you walk through those doors, when you clock in. You become a different person on the job site. You talk differently. You think differently. There are people that you work with who would have no idea of the kind of person we all know you to be here at church. You, you divide yourself. You, you just divide yourself. So that when you go to work, maybe it's, it's, it's some, a way you've learned to protect yourself. Or maybe it's just a way you've learned just to, just to buckle down, put your head down, and get through the week. I, I think I understand that, but, but I'm trying to explain to you that that's not exactly what work is intended to be. It's not just putting your head down and trying to get through the week so that you can come home on Friday and get a case of beer and pass out until Monday and you do it all over again. Do you understand? That's not life. That's not life unless you're talking about life apart from God. And then actually that is life apart from God. And if you want to talk about work being miserable and toilsome and, and how you lay awake all night worried and stressed, then I want you to understand that's probably work apart from God. And even though I'm a minister, I've been there. I am just as liable as you to begin seeing my job as a job and not as an opportunity to work for God. I know about that just like you know about that. It is an easy thing to forget that we work for God and that every single day is an opportunity to serve him, to join in what he wants us to do in the world. Do you understand? Work is pleasure. It is something given to us from the hand of God. That's what the Bible says. So let's try to think differently about it. Let's just put a couple of things in your mind. First off, just do this. Thank God that you have a job. 
Thank God that you have a job and that you can put food on your table. Thank God for that. That is a dignified thing. It is a valuable thing. And you need to celebrate that. If you have a job that puts gas in the car and food on the table, if you can provide for your family, then you are a very, very blessed man or woman. Thank God for that. You may not have a glamorous job. You may not have a job that you enjoy. You may not have a job that anybody else would want. But if it puts food on your table, then there's dignity to it. Thank God for that. Don't forget what the scriptures say. The, the Bible says if, if somebody won't work, they shouldn't eat. If somebody won't work, they shouldn't eat. That's what Paul says. If you won't work, you don't eat. It also says that anybody who won't provide for his own family is worse than an unbeliever. You understand? So very, very honestly, you need to work. You're created to work. You have a purpose. You need to join in the work that God has for you to do in the world. And if you're able to work, you should be working. It is disgraceful. It is disgraceful to get through life not working and letting other people take care of you. I'm not being harsh. I'm just trying to be realistic here. Work is a good thing. It's a pleasure from the hand of God, and you should be doing some. That doesn't mean that I'm saying you can't be a stay-at-home mother. Nobody works as hard as a stay-at-home mother. But even then, let's be honest, when my grandmother stayed home as a stay-at-home mother, she had to make her own soap. You know? She had to make her own soap, and then, you know, laundry took all day long. So, honestly, none of us have to work like our grandparents and great-grandparents used to work. We live in a very different kind of world. But if you're able to work, you should be working. You need to work. Have you ever really seen a person who's unemployed for a long, long time? They typically sink into depression. It's, it's miserable. It's miserable. And the worst part of it is just the, the loneliness. If you don't have a job, you don't have people in your life. I mean, other than Oprah, but she's not a real person. You understand? You don't have people in your life. You don't have anything to get out of bed for in the morning. And I'm telling you, that's just a, sort of a sad existence. You need something to set the alarm for. You need something to get out of bed for. You need something so at the end of the day you can feel like you served God and you did something good for the world. I mean, you need that. And if you don't have that, find that. Because it's just disgraceful to spend your days in idleness not doing anything important for anybody. That's just no way to live. So if you have a job, you thank God for that job, whatever it is. Lots of people would love to work and can't find work. So there you go. You're blessed. You thank God for the job that you have. And you just thank God that you can put food on your own table and that your kids have clothes and shoes. You understand? That job is a blessing to you and God's blessing you with it. Thank God for it. All right? Otherwise, think about your job as an opportunity to serve people. It's not about you. It's not about me. Our jobs are not so that we can go and that we can have a comfortable life or we can go and feel good about ourselves. You understand? That's not what work is. You're not defined by your job. Your job doesn't say who you are or add anything important to your worth. Whether you're the boss or the lowest woman on the totem pole, do you understand? Your job doesn't define you. You are who God says you are. And you are there in that place to do God's work, which means you're a servant. You are a servant, even at work, even if you're the boss. Jesus says anybody who wants to lead, they first have to learn how to serve, follow, exactly. So you are, every single day, a servant. A servant of God, which means you're a servant of people. 
You serve. And work gives you an opportunity every single day to love somebody more than you love yourself. Good luck with that. Understand? Serve it. So let me ask you, who's the real servant where you work? Who's the real servant? Let's put it this way. You have a refrigerator where you work? Got a refrigerator where you work? The refrigerator that nobody wants to open because it's like toxic waste. There's like a pimento cheese sandwich that's been in there since, since Jimmy Carter was president. And there's a little thing of onion dip since the last Christmas party. And, and little jars of things in liquid that nobody knows what those things are. And nobody goes through that refrigerator. Let me ask you, who's finally going to clean that out? That would be the servant where you work. That's the person who gets it. That's the person who understands that we're not here to let somebody else take care of us. We are here to care for others. Work is an opportunity to serve people, to help people. And isn't that what you truly want to be and do? Do you really want to be the person who stomps around mad because you think you're doing all the work and everybody else is loafing? Why do you want to be that person? Let me give you a hint. Stop focusing on what other people are supposed to be doing and just focus on what you need to be doing. Just quit thinking about other people. Forget about other people and what they should be doing. You just do everything you can do for the glory of God. That's what the scriptures say. That's why you're at work. Just quit thinking about what others should be doing. Focus on what you, you know you need to do. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a verse I want you to print out and put in your cubicle or in your truck or uh, on your computer or whatever it is you look at when you work. Remember how the preacher in Ecclesiastes said, work is hard, I hate work, it's meaningless, it's useless. Well, let's add to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Here you go. Always, say the word, work. Always work. Let's just say the next word just for fun, everybody. Always work enthusiastically. This is where you get the speed and because you can't wait to get there. Always work enthusiastically. Here we go. For the Lord. For the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless, ever meaningless. Remember, he says, apart from God, these things are meaningless. But nothing you do for the Lord is ever meaningless. So I suggest, if, if, if you're having trouble finding satisfaction in your work, here you go. This is the key. You need a new boss. New boss. Don't, Rod, warn, don't you say a word. Uh, you need a new boss starting tomorrow, and you can have one. Do you understand this? So who do you serve? Who are you working for? What does the Bible say? You're working for the Lord. When you go to that place tomorrow, you're working for the Lord. Where you work right now, and again, I remind you, everything I say about work counts for school. Wherever you go to work tomorrow, that is God's will for you. That is God's will for you, and so therefore you need to work there for the Lord enthusiastically, knowing that anything you do for him is never useless, it's never pointless. You work for the Lord. There was this, this 
British company that was building a bridge in South America and they sent a British foreman down to supervise an entire team of, of just natives, very, very poor men out of the rainforest who were just gonna work on this bridge. They didn't speak a common language, but, but they could do the manual labor. So this British foreman goes down to supervise all of these native uh, South Americans. They got there, he was first very, very impressed with their work ethic, that they worked hard. And he would stand there and watch them, and those men would just go at it like they were killing snakes. I mean, they worked hard every single day. And he was so pleased with the progress that was being made that he uh, started taking part of the day and going off into other job sites and supervising other things he had going. And the very first day he left that bridge building site where all the, the men were working so hard, um, when he came back at the end of the day, nobody was working. They were all laid up under the shade. I mean, when he left, they quit working. And the first day, he just sort of let it go. But now the second day, third day, he realized that every single time he turned his back, they all went and sat in the shade, I mean, for the whole day. They didn't do a thing if he wasn't watching them. Well, it turns out these people didn't really understand everything that he knew about the modern world. And he happened to have a prosthetic eye. He had a glass eye. So one day, while all of those men were looking at him, he pulled that eye out of his head. And he placed it on a stump and turned it toward him and walked away. Now, what did all the men do? <gasps> yeah. So they worked. They worked day after day after day. I mean, it was a perfect system. Every single morning, he'd just take his eyeball out pop it on the stump, walk away, and they'd work all day long. But then one day, about four days later, he came back, and they were all under the shade tree again. I mean, they just all piled up under the shade. And he thought, what happened? What would happen? So he went looking for his eyeball. Guess what happened? One of the men had snuck up and put his hat over it. <laughs> Two lessons, one small, one big. Um, first off, don't be the employee that makes your boss have to take his eye out. You know what I'm saying? Don't be that person. Don't be the person that only works when somebody's standing over you insisting that you work. Don't, don't be that person because understand, you work for God, right? You serve the Lord, and if God has put you in that place, then that's God's will for you. And if you do not believe that your present job is God's will for you, then you must leave and get a new job. You have to know that where you are is God's will for you. And if it's God's will, then in doing your job very, very well, you're serving the Lord. Don't be the person that makes your boss have to take his eyeball out. You understand? Because the Lord for whom you work, his eye is always on you. And this intention, even through your job and even at work, is to bless you. Understand? Your work is intended to be a blessing. It's only not a blessing when you go to work every day apart from God. Go to work and... Uh, Take the Lord with you. Let's pray. God, some of us still struggle, Lord, 
we could come up to this altar and cry real tears for the place where we work and the people that we have to work with and their brokenness and their frustration and the way, Lord, that they nearly want to make us pull our hair out, Lord. It's so frustrating. But, Lord, we want to understand why we are where we are 40% of our lives. Lord, we want to understand what your purpose is for us in the places where we work. So, Lord Jesus, help us to understand that we work for you and that we get our real instructions from you. So, Lord, teach us what our work is and how we should work. And, Lord, help us to trust you to reward us at the end. Lord, truly the best reward is just to be with you. And Lord, we want to be with you and we know that you're working. And Lord, even before we get up in the morning and go to the plant, Lord, we know that you're already there. You're there first shift, second shift, third shift. You're behind every machine. You're in every office, Lord. You're all over that place, Lord. Just help us to understand what you're doing there and where you are at work in the place where we work. and Help us to see whose lives, Lord, that, that, you're, that you're working inside so that, Lord, we can always be a part of what you're doing. Lord, we recognize that we work for you and nothing that we ever do for you could be pointless or meaningless or a waste of our time. So teach us, Lord, to work for you enthusiastically, joyfully, gladly, Till our lives are done and then Lord in heaven allow us to work with you for all eternity we pray these things in the name of our Lord our master Jesus Christ amen